Okay, uh, we are going to watch... There's a Trump victim going public. There's a Trump victim going public. It's called Trump Victim Goes Public with Disturbing Video. Christel Ivalis. Ivalis. You have to also listen at what he's been saying over the last day or so. Because mark my words, he has made it clear that this isn't simply about civil matters. That yes, in the immediate term, just in the last day or so, all that's been brought against Trump and his company and his kids have been civil. Which means unless they perjure themselves or they obstruct in some way, they can't get locked up. But what was said is absolutely crystal clear. Donald Trump and his kids are going down, and they're going yes. down criminally, and they nice. could go down for a very, very long time. That was supposedly all the documents that had to, and this is in Tish James's um, papers. When the FBI raided Mar-a-Lardo, what ended up happening is they found documents that would have been responsive to the subpoena. So therefore, on top of everything, this dope has now added obstruction of justice as yet another claim. I mean, in fact, there's more claims for him than I think he has hair on his head. You know, there's, there's a question here about why this persisted for so long. I mean, to your point here about the, the, the tax documents. I mean, it does seem to be she talked about referring to the IRS, right? The obvious enormous no-no is to inflate for bank lenders and insurance purposes and deflate for the tax authority, right? Which like, is what he did. Right, which is what you said. I remember you saying it in that. You said, look, this was standard. Right, like when it's time to pay taxes, property's worth nothing. When it's time to get a loan or insured, property's worth nothing. Right, but when you get caught with that black and white, like the IRS does not look that favorably on it. I mean, that seems to be another issue for him here, to the extent that she's referring this to the IRS because they have his doc they have his documents. Right, bank fraud, wire fraud. Right. They throw in money laundering there. You have misrepresentation to a bank. You have a whole plethora. Can I ask you a question yeah. that you may not be able to answer? How common is this in New York real estate? Like, how much is this a Donald Trump thing? Look, I don't know because you were just know. there. Right, I right. was yeah. Trump yeah. for a little over a decade before that private practice in a white firm. Right. Um, I don't know, but it's not common. Yeah. All right, it is not. I know many real estate developers with a lot of money, right? Legitimate, a lot of right. money. Not one of them values their apartments, which are newer, on higher floors and in certainly better buildings with more amenities than his Trump Fifth Avenue one. And not one of them is claiming that that unit is worth $375 million when, in fact, it's worth probably 50 Who, How close does it have to get? I mean, I guess the, the, the question I have here is I have watched this, I've been covering this for seven years, came down the answer. There's this kind of crazy thing with him where it just seems like the, the, the fraud is flagrant, the, the going over the line, and yet seems to have gotten away with it. Now so it seems like we're in a different space. He doesn't have the power of the presidency anymore. He's got a smaller circle around him. The amount of legal peril he has is so acute. I don't think it's ever been this acute before. What is your assessment of where it's at? 
the reason that we're where we're at, and I, again, I thank our courageous and our fearless and our just absolutely fantastic attorney general when Take she James, complimented me you. for um, basically being the start of it. I testified for over 400 plus hours between seven different congressional committees, the attorney general, the district attorney, and so on. It's that documentation which nobody has ever had before, and he never would have given it, right. that ultimately sparked this and sent this into the investigation that's going to ultimately terminate the Trump organization, Donald, Don Jr., Ivanka, Eric, Weisselberg, McConney, and the rest of them. It's going to put an end to the entire company. You think that? I believe so. Michael Cohen, who is seen. Let's go back to my point here. Is it true? I think what he said. I forget what he said. 375. Now, so then why isn't he responding by saying, this is my, why my apartment is worth $375 Michael Cohen on New York AG's lawsuit against Trump. To, to the specifics of what is alleged rather than the Democrats hate me. Because Donald Trump has a fragile ego. Over the course of the twenty-seven, that's okay. So Donald Trump is a fragile ego, and during the entire Trump administration, have you ever once seen him seen him acknowledge an error? The answer is no. In fact, in the twelve years that I worked for him, I had never heard him acknowledge an error. He is incapable of error because Donald Trump is perfect, and not to mention, he couldn't then fight you on it because he knows it's a lie. Well, that, but again, that's why you said he went to where he went to a friendly media organization because someone will say to him, I would have said to him, why is your apartment worth $327 million? Why did you allege that? Was that an error? Can you please explain to the public what that means? Why is this wrong? Why is, such a, why, why is the attorney general wrong? And would, he would not have an answer for that. Right? Softball. Yeah. So let me ask you about his, his children, right? Because this is alleging that Don what? Jr. So let me ask you about his his children, right? Because this the specifics of what is alleged. The Democrats hate because Donald Trump has a fragile ego. Over the course of the twenty-seven, that's so Donald Trump has a fragile ego, and during the entire Trump administration, have you ever once seen him seen him acknowledge an error? The answer is no. In fact, in the twelve years that I worked for him, I had never heard him acknowledge an error. He is incapable of error because Donald Trump is perfect. And not to mention, he couldn't then fight you on it because he knows it's a lie. Yeah. But, that, but again, that's why you said he went to where he went to, a friendly media organization, because someone will say to him, I would have said to him, why is your apartment worth $327 million? Why did you allege that? Was that an error? Can you please explain to the public? Was that an error? You're too fucking nice to him. Why is this wrong? Why is, it too, why, why is the attorney general wrong? And would, he would not Take the fucking answer. kid gloves right. off. Softball. You're dealing with a fucking so mob boss, his, his children, dude. Right? Because this is alleging that Don Jr., uh, Ivanka, Eric, that they're involved in this. This is it, The business is essentially run like a small family. It is a small family. Okay, so talk about their role in all of this, because you know you were there. Did, were, weren't you based out of Trump Tower? Yes, and I was actually, as I had stated, uh, I had worked with Alan Weisselberg on these documents, which I testified uh, to not only to the attorney general, the district attorney, and to seven committees, you know, along with other law enforcement agencies. Have you heard of Executive Order 14067? 
Most people probably haven't, but it could completely upend American life. You see, Section 4 of this order is set to completely overhaul our entire financial system, replacing our cash currency with a new program. The goal was to appease Donald. Each and every year, he wanted to be richer on the Forbes list. It's extremely important to him. And so what he would do is say, well, I'm, I'm worth $6 billion. And then within a second, you know, in fact, I'm really worth seven and a half. You know what? I'm actually even richer than that. The more I think about it, I'm worth ten. So figure out how <laughs> the personal financial statement from the year before ten billion dollars. What do you think you're worth? One, two, at best. One, two, at best. What do you think? Are you? I think he's in the fucking hole. That can help the attorney. Oh, I've given everything. I've given thousands so of. So you think that they used your information in order to create According this? According to Tish James, absolutely. You know, I gave them the personal financial statements of several years. I had explained them. You know, the problem and why Trump gets away with what he does is because there's only a handful of people within the inner circle. Everybody else is external. And what I did is I provided the roadmap. I provided the information that they needed to understand the Trump organization so that they could hold him accountable. Where do you see this going? Oh, I see real problems. I see <laughs> indictments coming and right. relatively soon. Including the, children, including the children. Yay. Thank you. Yay. You're welcome, Donald. He's confident. And a lot of people felt it was all bluster from old Mikey. A lot of people felt it was just him, you know, trying to get revenge because he did he did do crimes and he was just looking to take down everyone around him out of some sort of spite. And I don't doubt that he wants some revenge, but what he also wants is justice for himself and for the wider society. And what he said is absolutely unambiguous that this is not only going to end the trump corporation it's not only going to terminate trump and his family but it's also going to lead to real deal criminal indictments and the sort of criminal indictments with the sort of proof behind them absolutely get you locked up these are not misdemeanors these are not even necessarily things you can plea away with prohibition or prohibition right i think probation i think and i think michael Cohen agrees with me that this is leading to some real deal jail time and Yay. hey maybe michael cohen can do them a favor and teach them what it's like to go to prison he's <laughs> gone down for donnie and now donnie's going to go down for justice bringing his dumb dumb adult kids thank along. god good riddance <sighs> fucking monsters Monsters light fucking <clears throat> like a brand of fucking white supremacist mobsters. What they're all about.
Scam. Country one, yeah, one country one, yeah, one country, ah, one country, one country one, country one, country one. Not one of them values their apartments, which are newer, right. on higher floors, and in certainly better buildings with more amenities than his Trump <laughs> Fidelity apartment. And not one of them is claiming that that unit is worth $375 million when, in fact... <laughs> Turn that into a TikTok. Caption now it's going to Instagram. Oops, okay. Okay, so get this you make 10 meals, you're not a cook. You make 20 paintings, you're not an artist. But you kill one person. Okay, so get this. Not funny. Country woman. Country That's fucking awesome. Thank you, Michael. Okay, <clears throat> let's get back to the uh, 
Get back to the show. Uh, this is breaking Trump news today. Latest Trump news about Trump going to fucking jail. Yeah, let's do it. 72. Go fuck yourself. And an online platforms already folks are talking within the QAnon movement about him signaling again yesterday and doubling down on playing that song there. I think again, when we're talking about QAnon, we're talking about a very dark set of conspiracy theories here. One in which Donald Trump is either still the president or in an effort to reclaim power, works with the military to go and conduct mass arrests of not only government officials, Democrats, Hollywood figures, other other elites, rounds oh, them the up Democratic in a mass arrest, sends them to Guantanamo Bay, and executes them for treason. Like it sounds gets. like wild conspiracy theories, because they are, gets. and they are as dark and as violent as they sound. And in the last month, Donald Trump, for the first time, has overtly and explicitly embraced them, not only there at his rallies, but also posting Q memes online here. Constantly. This is a dark, dangerous no path. We've already seen violence conducted by individuals that have gone and spiraled down these QAnon paths here. We have seen kidnappings. We have seen families be broken apart. Uh, This is uh, telling that right now the leader of the Republican Party is so directly embracing this movement. Yes, ma'am. All right. So putting that in a bucket of incredibly troubling uh, amongst all the things um, regarding uh, the former president. Ali, let me go to you on this one as we're looking ahead, of course, to Wednesday, right? Yet another January 6th hearing. I guess the question is, what are we... I think... I, I, uh, here's an idea. I volunteer to be your, uh, I volunteer to be a, I, I should do a, I should do a quick, uh, TikTok about that. What are we going to hear? Possibly the last of all of these January 6th hearings from our understanding, right? And then you have, of course, now this news, it seems, where the former president's attorneys are trying to block the grand jury from uh, getting some information. Talk us through that. Yeah, Yasmin, well, just to put all of this into context here, it's been more than two months since the committee's last hearing. And in those two months, as you laid out at the top there, the news cycle has been dominated by headlines about the former president. So the committee knows there's a very high bar of expectations they have to meet uh, in this next and likely last public hearing for them to break through that news cycle. And while they haven't released uh, the theme of this uh, hearing on Wednesday, they're giving us some hints, some breadcrumbs that we could follow as far as what to expect. They're saying uh, that what will uh, be presented on Wednesday will put more meat on the bones of storylines that we've already been familiar with in past hearings that haven't been really capped off yet. They say they have more information about communications and movements by Secret Service on January 6th than they had uh, before that August recess break in hearings. They also say uh, that the hearing will likely focus a lot on violent extremism that we saw on January 6th, uh, possibly even uh, Trump ally Roger Stone's actions on that day. This is something that Congressman uh, and Committee Member Jamie Raskin talked about yesterday as far as how Roger Stone fits into the larger picture of the investigation the committee uh, is undergoing. Listen here. Roger Stone, though, uh, is the classic. I mean, he's basically spent his whole career at that um, toxic nexus between GOP power elite and then uh, fascist street fighters. Why does he matter <laughs> in the January 6th story? Fascist street well, fighters. Well, stay tuned for that, because uh, I mean, he, he's someone who, uh, I think, he, he's someone who I think saw where things were going. 
And Yasmin Stone has denied any involvement on January 6th, uh, but he has refused to speak with the committee about that. He's even sued members of the committee to uh, block uh, uh, complying with the subpoena. Uh, but we do know that he's a close ally. Has inflation got you feeling your money is slowly no, uh, wasting away? No, ally of members of the Proud Boys and Oath Keepers, those far-right groups that played such a huge role in the attack on the Capitol. So it's going to be interesting to see how much of what we already knew from past hearings will play into what we are possibly, uh, what we will possibly learn on Wednesday, Yasmin. Ali, if you could, though, tack on to that before I go to Barbara on this, um, this idea that we're learning now about the former president's um, attorneys uh, blocking the grand jury from getting more information when it comes to his efforts to overturn the 2020 election. What do we know about how they're doing this? Yeah, so in relation to the January 6th committee's uh, investigation into what, you know, the overturning of the election, that's something that the January 6th committee is definitely interested in and looking into and has already tried to look into, uh, but unfortunately hasn't uh, really gotten any, from, any information on that uh, in that respect, Yasmin. All right, Barbara McQuaid, if you could jump in here on this. Yes, do you know anything about what's happening here? Do they have yes, the ability to block the grand jury from gaining, gaining more information on this? Well, it appears from reporting that Trump's lawyers are asserting executive privilege as to some of the testimony. It came up during the testimony of some of the top aides to Mike Pence when they went to testify. And so it is a proper assertion that the chief judge of the court that is overseeing the grand jury is there to resolve any disputes when someone refuses to comply with a subpoena or assert some sort of privilege. Now, if the courts follow precedent, the case mm -hmm. of United States versus Nixon, that case held that even where executive privilege comes into play, it is outweighed by a criminal investigation in a grand jury matter. That is exactly what was at issue in the Nixon case when a grand jury subpoena sought the Nixon tapes and the Supreme Court held there unanimously that the executive privilege had to yield in that situation. And so I imagine that Trump's lawyers are trying to block the testimony by asserting executive privilege. Uh, I am hopeful that the district court, the appellate court, and even the Supreme Court will follow the precedent of United States versus Nixon. Let's switch gears here, um, if we could, Barbara, for a moment. I am going to be speaking with Michael Cohen at the bottom of the hour. Um, should be an interesting interview, uh, to say the least. If you got any questions for me, Barbara, throw them my way on air here. Um, nonetheless, <laughs> um, you write for Time Magazine when it comes um, to this suit. Um, filed by Letitia James, um, that this may finally Thank nail you, Tish. We the love president. You. you and I have spoken a lot about Letitia, this over the last um, couple of days since Beautiful this, this news broke. And Queen. this has been incredibly thematic <laughs> of, of where you have stood the entire time, which is they have, as you write in Time Magazine, a preponderance, in see, it seems, of evidence. And that is why this could feasibly be open and shut and nailed the former president. Um, finally, talk more about that, if you will. Yeah, and, you know, the, the impetus for this case came from Michael Cohen. And so, you know, certainly some questions for you to ask him are about what corroborating evidence he has about the allegations made in this lawsuit filed by Richard James. Writing that but, down. <laughs> he, Take it away. He, he, he is the one who, has, who said that it was the business practice of Donald Trump to inflate the value of assets when it suited him, when he was seeking uh, loans and insurance coverage, and then to deflate the value of assets when the time came to pay taxes on those things. And so that is the gist of this lawsuit that's been filed by Letitia James. And there are two things about this case that make me think this is likely to be a very strong case against Donald Trump. 
One is it's a document case. You don't have to rely on eyewitnesses who might have infallible memories or be impeached for some kind of bias. It's based on documents, inconsistent statements between documents about the value of assets. Documents don't lie and documents don't forget. So for those reasons, it's a strong case. But the other one you just mentioned, in a civil case, the burden of proof is not guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a very high standard that we have in a criminal case. It is a five-year prison sentence for anyone who helps someone obtain an abortion. The only exception is if the pregnant person's life is in jeopardy. The judge's ruling really lifts fuck the injunction put Give in place. Give us our four eighty-six for free, over the counter, no questions asked. Fuck Probably you. after the fall of Roe, an appeal is expected. Meanwhile, over in Indiana, abortion clinics—they are reopening after a judge there blocked the new ban from being enforced. The law was passed by the Republican-led legislature in August, making Indiana the first state to enact a new ban since the Supreme Court ruling in June. I don't want to get a picture of this um, um, lousy picture of uh, Trump. Um, his rally looks fake. The state's seven abortion clinics were set to lose their licenses. Indiana's Republican Attorney General says he will, in fact, appeal. All right, everybody. If you've invested in stocks, if you've got a 401k, um, you're probably not too happy today, right? The stock market coming off yet another pretty rough week, to say the least. The Dow Jones fell nearly 500 points. Narrowly avoiding bear market territory, the NASDAQ, the S&P 500, also each sliding over one and a half percent. The Dow's drop closes out the week at a new low for 2022. Not great. Not great at all. Dow dropped to nearly 500 points. Close at a new low for 2022 on rising recession fears. I want to bring in Caleb Silver, editor-in-chief of uh, Investopedia. CNBC. Folks are worried right about now, Caleb. Um, worried about inflation. Worried about the fear of... Thanks for tuning in to the Justify Governor Show. I cover all the pro-democracy podcasts, including Midas Touch, Lincoln Project, Mary Trump, Mayor Kofa, Mike Cohen, uh, the Young Turks, and um, 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 call your three branches of government. Like Frederick Douglass said, agitate, agitate, agitate. And power can cease nothing without demand, so make demands. Make demands. Do your duty as an American citizen. Speak sure, that up. I'm worried just really about any money they have invested in the market and or in their, their 401k. Thousands and thousands of dollars lost in, in a single day, right? So what is to come? What's going on? Yeah, over $25 trillion in stock market wealth evaporated in just the last couple of months in this extreme sell-off. So I understand why people are worried. We should all be. We're entering this down period where the economy is slowing down. We still have inflation at a 40-year high. And the Federal Reserve, our central bank, is aggressively raising interest rates to try to bring down inflation. And they say they're going to be at it until the job is done. Inflation at 8.3%. The Fed wants it closer to 2%. So we have a long way to go and a lot of rate rises between now and 2%. 
And in that process, profit margins are getting squeezed because higher interest rates put a squeeze on companies' profitability, and that's why you're seeing investors bail out of the stock market. So it seems like folks really have to buckle up because this may not be the end of the worst moment. Um, Caleb Silver for us, and to mobilize hundreds of thousands of additional troops, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky called on those living in Russian-occupied territories to resist the draft. If they do get into the Russian army, he says, they should do their best to sabotage until they can switch positions. The G7, meanwhile, condemning the, quote, sham referendum uh, launched by Russia in an effort to annex occupied regions of Ukraine. NBC's Aaron McLaughlin is with us from um, Kharkiv. Um, Aaron, as always, it's great to talk to you. What are we hearing from Ukrainians specifically who are being um, subjected to this referendum? Hey, Yasmin. Well, I've been speaking with one man that likes to go by the name Jimmy. That's not his real name. We're concealing that for his own protection. He's living in these one of the occupied areas currently subject to a referendum. He told me the referendum is now in its second day. And only now, he says, are Russian soldiers beginning to put up signs advertising the referendum. He said it's evidence of just how hastily organized this current referendum is. It seems to have been done at the very last minute. He says that he's seen mobile stations in his city uh, manned by Russian soldiers and so-called poll workers. Uh, and he said, imagine if you're walking uh, well, you're walking down the street and one of these poll workers stops you to vote with a Russian soldier fully armed there present. There's really only way you're, one way you're going to be voting. He said the people uh, there are, are absolutely terrified because they're very worried that if their area is is in fact annexed by Russia, as looks like likely at this point, given that they're moving ahead with this referendum. That means potentially that the men in these occupied areas could be subject to President Putin's partial mobilization and could be forced to fight against their home country. He said what? it's a reality that completely terrifies him. And he says it's terrifying other men in these occupied areas. He said everyone at this point is trying to leave. He's compared his city to a ghetto because they can't. There is wow. no clear way out. And he said at this point, he is hearing rumors, rumors at this point, because there's no official information there, that they're stopping men between the ages of 18 and 35 from leaving the occupied area in which he is currently living. And at this point, he said that the men are looking for hiding places because if they do mobilize the local population in his hometown, these men want to hide from Russian soldiers. So that is the state of things in some of these occupied areas right now. As I said, it is a terrifying situation for them, Yasmin. Un unbelievable. Um, their new reality as they see it. Aaron McLaughlin for us in Kharkiv. Thank you. Is the president interested in reducing his local real estate bills, tax bills? Yes. And how did he do that? What you do is you deflate the value of the asset and then you put in a request to the tax department for a deduction. That was the moment, everybody. Attorney General Letitia James referring to that very moment that sparked uh, the investigation that we heard about on Wednesday. Michael Cohen there testifying before Congress all the way back, can you believe it, 2019, about the alleged financial crimes of his former boss, the former president of this country, Donald Trump.
uh, which New York AG Letitia James has now brought forward as part of a sweeping civil suit targeting the former president, his three children, and their company for widespread business fraud. And with me now, uh, to break it all down, Michael Cohen himself, now host of his podcast, Maya Culpa with Michael Cohen, and author of the soon-to-be-released book, Revenge, How Donald Trump Weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice Against uh, his critics. Michael, it's great to talk to you. It's good to be here. A lot of folks wanted to talk to you on Wednesday as that news was released. Did you know it was coming? No. And I was very thankful and I was surprised as I was sitting in my den and watching the television when Tish James just mentioned my name and thanked me for everything that I have done, something that I have been working on now with them. Even while I was in Otisville, when I was incarcerated, I had the district attorney three times came to visit me. Mm. And, um, Ultimately, what happened is the DA's office, in tandem with the Attorney General's office, decided to work one civil, one criminal. I was just talking to Barbara McQuaid, who says it seems as if it's an open and shut case, because it seems as if the Attorney General has the paperwork to back up her suit, right? What corroborating evidence, if you can offer, did you share with the Attorney General to back up this claim that he overinflated his assets and then under... One researcher spent 20 years investigating the lives of men who lived up to 120 years. She discovered that one food these men were eating was responsible for their astonishing lifespan. But what is even more spectacular, these men had the vitality of men in their 20s. That's wonderful. And underinflated them when it came to paying taxes. They have all the documents. They received the documents not only from the IRS after a very lengthy, typical Donald Trump deflect, 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 delay, delay, delay scenario where they asked for it, he said no, they sued, he lost, he appealed, he lost, Supreme Court, he lost, then they got all the documents, which corroborates the 2011, 12, 13 personal financial statements, a series of other documents that I provided, as well as the roadmap. You see, the Trump Organization is really a very small family real estate company. And there's only a handful of executive vice presidents, one of which was me. And nobody else out of that group has left. None of them have gone ahead and provided any testimony to anybody. I gave them the roadmap on who did what, where people kept documents, et cetera, et cetera. And they were, Tish James is phenomenal. She took the roadmap. She followed it, and the first to file this 200-page indictment outlined, you know, just a massive, massive um, fraudulent scheme. Have you heard from anybody inside the Trump camp, Alan Weisselberg, anybody, especially since you got out of jail? No. Nothing? Nothing. Not, not a text, a, not, not a, an email, not a phone call? Nothing. Nothing. No. The overinflation of assets was astounding to me, Michael. Um, when you look at um, inflating the value of Trump Park Avenue, right? Inflating it up to $135 million, the real value of that being $84.5 million. Mar-a-Lago, $739 million, the real value $75 million. Someone on Alex Witz Joe says um, sh that he didn't necessarily believe it was $75. He believes it's much more than that, but certainly less than $739. Trump Seven Springs, $291 million was the inflated value, the real value $56 million. A lot of folks inflate the value of their assets, maybe about $100,000 or so if they're looking to get a loan. This is an egregious inflation of assets. Was there ever a moment in which you said, Donald, what are we doing here? We're breaking the law. How did you continue to do this and support this, really? Okay. So I was tasked along with Alan Weissberg, and I've gone through this extensively with both the DA and the AG, as well as members of Congress and various seven different congressional committees. Donald Trump had tasked me, the um, 
the job of getting to back in the number to how much he wanted to be worth. The goal originally was for Forbes. He just wanted to be perceived as richer. There's a whole second section to this when it came to insurance, bank loans, and so on. Why I went ahead and I did it because my boss tasked me to do it. You were breaking the law. You knew it, right? You well, knew it. I'm not the one who's providing the documents. I knew it was wrong. I knew the numbers were wrong. You knew it was financial fraud. Yes and no. Um, I again, it's not for me to turn. You knew it, it wasn't. A, you knew it wasn't a thirty square foot, thirty thousand square foot apartment. You know, I never knew tower. that. By the way, I never knew that one. I had only been to the bottom, believe it or not, in my decade-long time there. I'd never been past the first floor. I never went up to the second or the third floor. Ever. So I had no idea how um, how it was. Nor was I involved in coming up with that evaluation. The way it would work is we would go ahead and we would take a look at the asset, and then we would and figure out what's the highest price per square foot, what's the best use of that specific property. Now, I also had no uh, knowledge about uh, him giving away rights. That's, that wasn't in it. Um, when it comes to uh, even 502 Park Avenue, where they were rent-stabilized or rent-controlled mm -hmm. units, I had no knowledge of that. What we did is we took the highest price per square foot in the area, and I believe it was the Bloomberg building, and then we applied it to the price per square foot on the Trump Park Avenue property. And so what he chose to do with these documents in terms of loans, yes, that's on Donald. But yeah, I, I was involved in helping to prepare to back the number into what he wanted using the assets that he had. What about the fact that he had outside assessors coming in, giving him a valuation of these properties and he disregarded it and proceeded with his own valuation? Donald Trump will tell you it's what he believes the value of the properties are. I know that uh, that's been written extensively in several different books. He believes that he determines, solely determines, what the value of the asset is. Did he know he was breaking the law? Listen, I believe the answer is yes. He knew that he was never worth $10 billion. He knew exactly how much the assets were worth. He certainly knew how big the size of his apartment is. Um, where he came up with a price per square foot never achieved in New York City, let alone not even a third of it in the building at 725 or 715th Fifth Avenue, um, absolutely. Can we talk about the children for a moment? Because Eric Trump in his testimony pled the fifth, right? Don Jr., Ivanka, they did not. Should we be reading into that at all from what you know of them? No. So you don't know what he pled the fifth to. We do know that both Don and Ivanka answered certain questions. But we don't know what questions they were. Yeah. We don't know what questions they didn't answer. What we do know is that Eric took the fifth on everything, as did Donald, other than stating his name. From what we know of all these suits and investigations that are ongoing right now surrounding the former president and your former boss, what do you suspect is worrying him the most? Because what I know about Donald Trump, having been born and raised in this city, he lives inside lawsuits. I mean, he thrives in moments like this when he feels as if people are attacking him. Is that accurate? No, it's not. Not okay. even close. In fact, he hates this. He puts on a great persona that he's stronger than anything he's got. As he'll tell you, he has very thick skin. Nothing bothers him. It's not true. And you can even see he doesn't look well at the moment. He realizes, and I'm going to now parrot um, Barbara McQuaid, who was on this one. Yeah. This case with Tish James is the one that's definitely keeping him up at night. He, he believes that the Georgia case he'll be able to defeat by 
battling the issue of mens rea, the guilty mind. He yeah. did not know that he was doing anything. He believed that the, you know, that there was 11,700 and something uh, votes that were stolen from him. So he was just telling him to go find me those stolen votes, not looking to break the law. The Tish James case destroys him because he's a fragile ego. His whole life, his ego is in, it's all about his financial wealth. That's what he played to these, you know, MAGA supporters all over the country. I'm really rich. I'm really, I don't need anything from anybody. Well, clearly we know that that's not true. It's just another lie. This gets at the... Breaking Trump news. Trump for prison! Exclamation points. MSNBC. Michael Cohen interviewed. Exclamation point! Smiley face. Fuck Trump. Okay. Welcome back to the Christopher Governator Show, and we are listening to Michael Cohen tearing Mr. Nazi Trump a new arsehole. It's at the core of his insecurity. Yes, plus it's going to end up bankrupting the entire company. So uh-huh. You think it's done? You think Trump organization is over? I do, and I'll uh-huh. go one step further. I believe that if this is the Tish James case is going to be used. It's going to be his Waterloo. What a burn, what a cut. Stick your finger up your butt. Dump Trump. Hashtag dump Trump. <laughs> In the upcoming October case against the Trump organization, whereby they're now going to bring Donald into it where despite what Alan Weisselberg wants to tell you, that he's not going to testify against Donald, you cannot separate Donald Trump from his eponymous company. It's him. Everything that was done at that company mm-hmm. was done under his control and by his orders. He signed off. On everything. On everything. Everything. Uh-huh. Michael Cohen, the host of a new podcast, <laughs> Mick, hold on right now, um, watching what is happening there. Get him, get him, get him. Get him. We love you, Tish James. Here. Tisha James has more balls. 
than any other lawyer in America. Hello, my friend. Well, we're in day eight of the protests. They continue to rage across the country, and they're not showing any signs of slowing down, Yasmin. Even the promptly arrested by the police, and those women are serving double-digit jail sentences. And yet, today, in Iran, women are defiantly walking around with their heads wide open to the public. That, that is that is astounding imagery, um, Ali Aruzi. To see you, for sticking with us. Thank you for sticking around. Um, a new January 6th public hearing is just around the corner. I bet you anything, he's not actually in fucking Iran. It's probably a fucking green screen. I bet you anything. Corner. At the same time, the special master in the Mar-a-Lago case is asking the former president to back up his allegation that the FBI planted evidence. Plus, the Justice Department is once again reviewing and using those classified documents found at his private Mar-a-Lago club. But it may be Trump's finances that could have the former president in the most trouble. And then in Puerto Rico, no power, no water, and for some, nowhere to live. We are live on the ground with the challenges residents there are facing after Fiona ripped through the island. Plus, the powerful message from Ukraine's president, what Volodymyr Zelensky is telling thousands of men being drafted into the Russian army. And where many of those men are going to avoid being forced into military service. Also this hour. It really breaks my heart when I think about this situation because she, was, she had her whole life in front of her. A family member speaking out about the death of his 22-year-old cousin in Iran. We have the very latest on the eighth day of demonstrations across that country. And I'll talk with one woman who had direct experience with the Iranian police. But first, we want to look ahead to this Wednesday, which could be the last public January 6th committee hearing. And as we learned this week, the committee has reached an agreement with Jenny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, to appear before the committee. We want to bring in NBC's Ali Rafa for more. So I found it interesting as we learned, Ali, of this news of Jenny Thomas, of course, if in fact her testimony would come in time to then be shown and or used um, in this January 6th hearing that's going to be happening on Monday. So what do we know about what's coming and if she's going to be included? Yeah, Yasmin, well, just to put this hearing into context, the committee knows that it has an extremely high bar of expectations it has to meet in this next and members say likely last public hearings uh, to break through all of these headlines over the past more than two months now since their last uh, public hearing about the former president. And uh, they haven't really dropped the theme of this hearing yet, uh, but they are dropping some breadcrumbs as far as what to what we should expect on Wednesday. They say they have more information from the Secret Service as far as communications and movements on January 6th. They say to expect uh, more of a focus on the violent extremism that fueled the attack on the Capitol. But Chairman Benny Thompson told me this week that this latest development that, uh, that was a months-long effort to get Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, Jimmy Thomas, to voluntarily uh, come forward to the committee and answer questions. He says that likely won't play a role in Wednesday's hearing because he says there's, quote, no real rush to interview her before Wednesday. Despite that, committee members are saying that they know how significant uh, Jimmy Thomas couple. is to their overall investigation and being this sort of... Weird couple, man. Fucking trash. 
creator, terrorist, white chick, and uh, uh, the um, Lechi um, Supreme Court judge. <laughs> sort of connective tissue uh, to connect all of these sort of storylines that we've They're heard mentioned in past hearings already. Uh, take a listen to what committee member Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren has to say about the value of Ginny Thomas's testimony. I'm looking forward to all the information that she can provide us. And once again, this is a legislative committee, not a criminal investigation. Uh, we do, however, have a strong interest in what Dr. Eastman did. As you know, he took the Fifth Amendment before the committee um, all day. And, uh, you know, I think he took the Fifth Amendment because he must believe he has criminal culpability. And she, of course, had extensive um, communication with Dr. Eastman. John Eastman is, of course, the former Trump lawyer uh, who is credited as being the architect of this plan to overturn the 2020 election using former Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, he's played such a role in, in past hearings. NBC Uni. NBC Uni. hearings and we know uh, as recently NBC as a few weeks com. ago had his cell phone seized by uh, FBI officials and so even though it's unlikely that we will see or hear a Ginny Thomas's testimony referenced on Wednesday uh, members say that that doesn't mean she won't play a larger role in this final report the committee is planning to release before the end of the year Yasmin. Ali Rafa for us. Um, thank you, Ali. Appreciate it. I uh, want to ring in out The Guardian's Hugo Lowell and New York Times reporter um, Suzanne Craig, who won the Pulitzer Prize for her reporting on Trump and his finances um, as well. Hugo, let me just start with you on this one. If you could kind of pick up on where our correspondent Ali left off um, with what you know per what we expect to hear on, on Wednesday with the final, it seems, um, January 6th hearing. What can you expect they will be orchestrating? <laughs> Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the committee has been keeping their cards close to their chest. Uh, I think for good reason. I think they want to make sure that this final hearing is as explosive as it can be. You know, the kinds of things that have been discussed behind the scenes, at least kind of uh, what the committee has been doing since uh, the final hearing uh, they did uh, previously before the August recess, uh, you know, topics include things like, you know, what Roger Stone and Michael Flynn, you know, Trump's former national security advisor, we're doing in the days and weeks leading up to January 6th. They want to flesh those questions out more. They are looking at people like Mark Esper and why he was fired, uh, because investigators believe that that laid the groundwork to the National Guard being delayed uh, in its deployment on January 6th. So they have been focused at least through the August recess on these unanswered questions. And it sounds like there is some expectation that that might feature in Wednesday's hearing. So, so with that, um, Hugo, before, of course, we, we jump more to uh, my Michael Cohen interview and, of course, um, the lawsuit leveled against um, the former president by the New York Attorney General. I, I also want to quickly touch on um, the special master on something um, that you wrote in that um, your findings of what the former president actually accomplished. And you said this, Trump effectively secured a two and a half week pause in the criminal investigation from the time that Cannon enjoins the... Uh, he, uh, this is the Guardian headline. Trump attempts to delay Mar-a-Lago inquiry largely fail as legal was mount by Hugo Lowell. Uh, let's see. Oh, Ali Vital. Oh. 
need to write. This time is Sharpie though. Where's the Sharpie? Where'd you guys get the Sharpie from? Okay, I got my sharpies. Right. Need to write these journalists' emails down. So I'll be contacting them shortly. Okay, Catherine Watson, White House reporter at CBS News. Great. And her email is Catherine.Watson. Catherine. Not I need a black one. Mm. Okay. Okay.
for a cup of coffee and five minutes of your time. Okay, Leanne Caldwell, let's see. at the washpost.com L-E-I-H-I-G-H-A-N-N dot Caldwell washingtonpost.com Political Congress reporter. Oh, cool. Okay, Olivia Beavers. O Beavers. <laughs> That's cool. Olivia O Beavers. Politico. I like Politico. I think they're really cool. In fact, I'm gonna send them my resume. Leanne. Okay, Olivia Beavers. I like it. It's a cute name. Okay, um, Mike Dyke Mamoli. Okay, that is a, um, Olivia. Olivia. Beavers. Okay, and Mike Dyke Mamoli. Uni. Okay. <clears throat> Covering Congress and politics at New Republic. Uh, Grace Seegers. Drew Seegers. Figures at tnr.com. Tnr.com. Okay, yeah, follow all. All right. Hello, yeah. So um, we're almost finishing up on this podcast. Thank you for tuning in, by the way. Thank you for a billion listens. And do your job as an American. Wear a freaking mask in public indoor spaces. Don't be an idiot. Okay? Look out for yourself, if not for your family or your community. If you don't give a shit about your family or community, look out for yourself. Okay? Right. So, um... Let's get back to the show. Breaking Trump news. 
stick around. We want to see a chance to the department down. on Labor Day to the appeals court ruling on Wednesday, a delay that former U.S. attorney said would not have materially affected the case. Can you expand on that for me? Yeah, so this is the uh, special master uh, uh, review of the document of round one of, of the document seized in the Mar-a-Lago search. You know, I've been talking to a couple of Trump advisors, people close to Trump's legal team, and they say, look, the whole effort to try and get us Hi, welcome back to the Just to Pick Up and it says, Special Master gives Trump team until Friday to prove planted evidence claims. Breaking Trump news, Trump's on the way to, on the path to prison. On the prison track. On track. So, so we've got the, the J6 hearing um, behind us. Uh, we have the special master uh, behind us as well. Let's look ahead now uh, to the former president's finances. Suzanne, that's where you come in, yeah. into the conversation. Yeah. I want to read for folks a little bit of your uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning reporting here when it comes to the former president's finances. And, job, and you write this. Yeah. Much of this money came uh, to oh, Mr. Trump yeah. because he we helped his parents dodge taxes. He and his siblings set up a sham corporation to disguise millions of dollars in gifts from their parents. Records and interviews show he also helped formulate a strategy to undervalue his parents' real estate holdings by hundreds of millions of dollars on tax returns, sharply reducing the tax bill when those properties were transferred to him and his siblings. You know what I find astounding, Suzanne, is while you think back right to the press conference held by um, Tish James on Wednesday, she talks about this time period between 2011 and 2021, but we could date this all the way back, it seems, especially um, from your reporting as to how long the former president has actually been yeah. trying to pull this off. Yeah, I, I remember when we were reporting that story, we went out to uh, to Queens to the surrogate court to, to get the will of his brother. And that was the first time we saw Donald Trump's signature and Fred Trump's on property values that we were, it was eye-popping how low they were because we could imagine how much they were worth. And that, that carried through both through um, his father's death when we got the values um, that were put on properties in his estate. I mean, this is, this is just a, a, a new day, but a very old game. You know what, I, I, I talked to Michael Cohen a little bit earlier um, in the last hour. I also spoke with Barbara McQuaid yeah. and Barbara basically said she believes this is a thing that's really going to nail the former president. And Michael Cohen said this um, as well, because there's essentially a paper trail. I mean, there's real evidence here. There's a preponderance right. of evidence, as, as Barbara put it. Let's take a listen um, to what Michael had to say to me, and, and then we'll talk. Great. They have all the documents. They received the documents not only from the IRS after a very lengthy, typical Donald Trump deflect, 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 delay, delay, delay scenario where they asked for it. He said no. They sued. He lost. He appealed. Everybody has a good, good idea of what we're talking about here. Um, you know, like 10 times. Like seventy-five million to seven hundred thirty-nine million. Hmm, that's about ten times as much. Um, whoa! Got some rapage going on. Chicken rapage. Okay.
He lost Supreme Court. He lost. Then they got all the documents, which corroborates the 2011, 12, 13 personal financial statements, a series of other documents that I provided, as well as the roadmap. He also went on to say, Suzanne, essentially that he greens light, green lights everything. The former president signs off on all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. He's the final stop on it. I'm wondering if they have the evidence to back that up as well. Well, he does, and there's, it's a very small organization. I mean, a lot of people have talked about that. There's just a, a small group of people. And how would you like to maximize your company's return on ad spend? He like John. Blue sky mind, never pay in your pocket tonight. If I walk up and down on the blue sky mind, okay. That was freaking great. Freaking great. 1 p.m. Let's see. This is 1 p.m. today. By unauthorized persons. The National Security Review resumed after an appeals court blocked Trump's attempts to prevent the intelligence community from even looking at the documents. Also new today, Trump's lawyers and the Justice Department are facing two new deadlines set by the special master. Wait, government must certify that list of seeds. Is full and accurate. On September 26th, September 30th, Trump team must claim in court whether FBI lied about search or item seized. If I walk up and down on a blue sky mine. They have a pay in your pocket tonight. Wayne. Hello. Hey, Bandit. Uh, no, I haven't actually. Blocking the driveway. Oh, shit. Oh, he's, he must be in there. Huh? He must be in there. I guess he's sleeping. What's the word? James. Exclusive hours before the Capitol attack, Trump called to top lieutenants at the command center at the Willard and pressed them on how to stop Biden's certification taking place on January 7th. Top lieutenants, command center at the Willards. Trump called aides hours before Capitol riots. Got a chicken that's sitting on top of my pit bull's head. That's very cute. Huh. Ride if you wanna ride. Ride the white horse.
Hungry. Hi, my love. Are you coming to say hi to me, my dear? Oh, hi. Hi, my love. Oh, my cutie. Mm, I love you too. I love you too. Hi, you Thanks for saying hi. If you wanna ride faster, DOJ has until Monday ride to certify they provided a full and accurate list of items seized at Mar-a-Lago, and the Trump team has until Friday to dispute the FBI's list. Trump claims his personal will was among items the FBI seized. He talked about the investigations at a political rally last night in North Carolina. We're gonna have more on that for you in just a moment. And new reaction today on the lawsuit filed by New York's Attorney General against Trump, three of his children, his business partners, and his organizations. His former lawyer, Michael Cohen, declaring the former president a threat to democracy. Our democracy is in peril because of one man. Anybody that's not one of his supporters, he's willing to go after. And he doesn't care if he burns the country down and doing it. And new reports today indicate Trump is embarking on another legal battle over executive privilege. His lawyers are arguing to limit the testimony of former White House aides appearing before a federal grand jury investigating efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Members of the House January 6th committee, meanwhile, are preparing for a new public hearing scheduled for Wednesday. Report on what to expect there in minutes. And Melania's Vaughan getting a divorce, by the way. New York City uh, Vaughan, good Saturday to you, my friend. So what is Donald Trump saying? is his legal troubles are mounting. Right, Alex, this is a twofold campaign for Donald Trump at this point. He held a rally in Wilmington, North Carolina last night. The first part of this effort is to stump for candidates who he has backed in these uh, Senate and gubernatorial races around the country. Last night, it was Ted Budd, the Republican running for the U.S. Senate. But then the second part of the campaign is what you just let off with here, is the numerous investigations at the federal and state levels that are now mounting against him. Take a listen to him last night. Is he works in what is essentially the second aspect of his campaign to get the base of support around him to continue to dismiss the climbing number of investigations that are uh, uh, surrounding him right now. Take a listen. This is a gross prosecutorial misconduct, and it's coming in so many different forms, whether it's in Atlanta, whether it's from Washington, D.C., whether it's January 6th. Witnesses from many different forms. There's never been a period of time. Did you know that half a teaspoon of this burns fat 728% faster? Before you go to bed tonight, eat okay. half a teaspoon of Like this. Probe to the impeachment proceedings.
martyr there. And when you are looking at the American electorate, there is a subset of this population that continues to buy into his defenses here. When he was referring to the classified documents, he referred to it as a, quote, document hoax. Of course, so much of this will play out right now. Play out in the court of law, Alex. Vaughn, let me ask you about What happened there? This is a situation that has developed over the last month. We're talking about a once more fringe conspiracy movement. It started off as this anonymous poster online in 2017 suggesting that Donald Trump would leave, uh, lead a mass arrest of not only Democrats but other government officials, Hollywood figures, other elites. Uh, this last month, uh, not only posting QAnon memes on his true social media posts, but then also at his last two rallies, again last night as well, playing what is essentially a song identical to the QAnon theme song. Just take a listen to part of that moment last night. But now we are a nation in decline. A nation that has the highest inflation in 50 years and where the stock market finished the worst first half of the year. People in the crowd that were holding up their pointer fingers in the sky, both in these situations last two rallies there. I was talking to a woman last night. She said that she believed it is a sign that Trump was there. And for Donald He doubled down. The QAnon movement is dangerous. It has led to violence. It's very dark. I was talking with folks who are QAnon followers who believe that not only should there be individuals who are in Congress who should be conspiracy theories, Alex, but they're serious, dangerous, and there is a true following of. I tell you, downright scary. Okay, Von Hillier, thank you for that. Joining me now, Peter Baker, MSNBC political analyst, co-author of the new book, The Divider. It is out now. We're happy about that. Also joining me, Lisa Rubin, legal analyst for the putting heat on the Trump team. He has set that Friday deadline for Donald Trump to prove his claims that the FBI planted evidence while carrying out that search warrant at Mar-a-Lago. Here is Donald Trump describing the investigation this week. Take a listen. That you have is they go into rooms, they won't let anybody near them. They wouldn't even let them in the same building. Did they drop anything into those piles? Or did they do it later? Wait. There's no chain of custody here with them. Wouldn't that be on videotape, potentially? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, they're in a room. So now in that same interview, Trump said that he could declassify any document by simply thinking about it. The special master is also asking Trump to prove that, Lisa. 
Do you think this is what Trump's attorneys expected the judge to do? I mean, is this judge calling Trump's bluff, or do you expect Trump's attorneys to bring legitimate evidence to the table? I don't expect Trump's lawyers to bring legitimate evidence to the table, Alex, because if they had it, they would have put it in any number of the briefs that they've issued so far. In recently arguing about whether or not the documents. Here's what I think they are thinking to themselves right now. And follow me if you want to hear great news. Check out my podcast, Politics AF. I'm documenting the downfall of Nazi Trump. Melania's getting a divorce. Ha 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 ha. 40 members of the Trump White House regime have been subpoenaed. The Trump crime family just got slapped with a quarter billion lawsuit, which is destroying Nazi Trump financially. <laughs> New York Attorney General is referring to staggering fraud case to the IRS and the DOJ. Criminal charges will follow from that. You can tell Diaper Donnie knows the walls are closing in. He looks like crap. Great news for the Democrats. I am Christopher Arizona State Mine Inspector. And follow me if you want to hear great news. Check out my podcast, Politics AF. I'm documenting the downfall of Nazi Trump. Melania's getting a divorce. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> members of the Trump White House have been subpoenaed. <laughs> the Trump crime family just got slapped with right, a quarter million lawsuit, which is destroying Nazi Trump financially. New York Attorney General is referring to staggering fraud case to the IRS. And the DOJ, <laughs> criminal charges will follow from that. You can tell Diaper Donnie knows the walls are closing in. He looks like crap. <laughs> Great news for the Democrats. I am Christopher Arizona State Mine Inspector. And follow me if you want to hear great news. Check out my podcast, Politics AF. I'm documenting the downfall of Nazi Trump. Melania's getting a divorce. Forty members of the Trump White House regime have been subpoenaed. The Trump crime family just got slapped with a quarter billion lawsuit, which is destroying Nazi Trump. New York Attorney General referring to staggering fraud case to the IRS and the DOJ. Criminal charges will follow from that. You can tell Diaper Donnie knows the walls are closing in. He looks like crap. Great news for the Democrats. I am Christopher Arizona State Mine Inspector. 
And follow me if you want to hear great news. Check out my podcast, Politics AF. I'm documenting the downfall of Nazi Trump. Melania's getting a divorce. Ha 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 ha. members of the Trump White House regime have been subpoenaed. <laughs> the Trump crime family just got slapped with a quarter billion lawsuit, which is destroying Nazi Trump financially. Attorney General referring this staggering fraud case to the IRS and the DOJ. Criminal will follow from that. You can tell Diaper Donnie knows the walls are closing in. He looks like crap. It's for the Democrats. I am Christopher Arizona State Mind Inspector. And follow me if you want to hear great news. Check out my podcast, Call the Great news for the Democrats. I am Christopher Arizona State Mine Inspector. And follow me if you want to hear great news. Check out my podcast, Politics AF. I'm documenting the downfall of Nazi Trump. Melania's getting a divorce. Ha 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 members of the Trump White House regime have been subpoenaed. <laughs> the Trump crime family just got slapped with a quarter billion lawsuit, which is destroying Nazi Trump financially. Attorney General referring this staggering fraud case to the IRS and the DOJ. Criminal charges will follow from that. You can tell Diaper Donnie knows the walls are closing in. He looks like crap. Great news for the Democrats. I am Christopher Arizona State Mine Inspector. So they've been subpoenaed.
Popcorn. documenting the downfall of Nazi Trump. Melania is getting a divorce. Ha 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 Three members of the Trump White House regime have been subpoenaed. The Trump crime family just got slapped with a quarter billion lawsuit, which is destroying Nazi Trump financially. New York Attorney General is referring to staggering fraud case. New York Attorney General is referring to staggering fraud case too. Tish. Where's the crown emoji?
You can tell Diaper Donnie knows the walls are closing in. He looks like crap. Great news for the Democrats. I am Christopher Arizona State Mine Inspector. And follow me if you want to hear great news. Check out my podcast, Politics AF. I'm documenting the downfall of Nazi Trump. Melania's getting a divorce. Ha 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 ha. 40 members of the Trump White House regime have been subpoenaed. <laughs> the Trump crime family just got slapped with a quarter billion lawsuit, which is destroying Nazi Trump financially. <laughs> New York Attorney General is referring to staggering fraud case to the IRS. <laughs> And the DOJ, criminal charges will follow from that. You can tell Diaper Donnie knows the walls are closing in. He looks like crap. Great news for the Democrats. I am Christopher Arizona State Mine Inspector. And follow me if you want.
So we have a bunch of semen samples to process tonight. The most common question that we get about Jizzy Jewelry is how we turn it into a powder. Clients send us their samples in little vials. Once the mail is sorted each day, we keep everything in the fridge until we're ready to process at night. So that way we're not kind of sitting in the jizz smell all day at the office. We have a special concoction that is kind of a trade secret that we mix in. And then we spread it out on parchment paper, kind of like peanut butter. And then we leave it overnight to dry. Once it's dried, we can grind it into a fine powder, and that is what I incorporate into translucent clay to make all of these beautiful pieces. The best part about incorporating it into clay, it means that I can sculpt literally anything you want, from beads and pearls to sculptures or more elaborate pendants. I'm really excited for an upcoming order where I'm sculpting a squirrel holding a jizz nut. It's gonna be cute! Hey guys, so we have a bunch of semen samples to process tonight. The most common question that we get about Jizzy Jewelry is how we turn it into a powder. Clients send us their samples in little vials. Once the mail is sorted each... My name is Deborah. I am a residential school survivor. I call myself a genocidal person. Melania's getting it. 
Trump is going down, exclamation point, lol.
ASMR. Let's see what other really cool things are going on. <laughs> I was looking at uh, Ron DeSantis can go fuck himself. <laughs> um, I'm going to save that. Okay. <clears throat> Save that and uh, use them and uh, help them promote them. Okay, let's see. And Leal versus Enki. Sumerians tell. Oh, wow. Five months ago. Sumerian origins. Okay. Let's take a break from all the politicking and uh, to learn about our history. Very important. Very important, Nanjing. Considered one of the most powerful gods in Mesopotamia. 
He was also called Nanamnir at times. In Suma, he was considered the god of the air. But despite his limitations to this element, he was considered exceptionally powerful when compared with other elemental deities. As time went on, he grew in power and esteem and eventually became the king of all the gods. Following with the usual progression of Mesopotamian pantheon family trees, Enlil was sired by the high god Anu. Alongside his father and the god of wisdom named Enki, Enlil was part of the ruling trinity of all existence in the universe. He was closely associated with the tablets of destiny, and one whose decisions were not up for debate. The focus of Enlil worship centered around Nippur city. There, the people built a massive temple called Mountain House. Because of his importance in the overall pantheon of gods and goddesses, Dude, many people from other cities and towns worshipped him as well. This was partially because they believed he could directly speak with Adam on their behalf. While the worshippers understood him to be basically the right hand of the ruler of the universe, they also saw that he made his own decisions without the counsel of his father. Enlil translates into Lord of Air, but his influence and power extended far beyond things like the sky and the atmosphere. Some carvings call him the father of the gods, or the father of the black-headed people, which is a moniker given to the Sumerians at large. This differs a bit from the general idea of the creation myths that the Mesopotamians believed in. It was not Enlil who first came up with the idea of creating people, and he was not complicit in creating other lesser gods either. This is generally given over to more ancient deities like Tiamat, Apsu, and Enuma Elish in Babylon. Although it seemed that primordial gods, and especially Anu, ruled everything and controlled creation, Enlil acted as a type of universe CEO who kept everything running as he family line of deities included all the other roles necessary to make existence work. Enlil had Ninlo as a wife, and they had multiple children between them. Their first son was named Nuska, but they also had Nana, the moon god, Utashamash, the sun god, Ishkur, the god of weather, and Inanna, the goddess of love and relationships. As with many ancient religious stories, the exact family placement of Enlil and the gods and goddesses, supposedly related to him, were shaky and dynamic. For example, the god of wisdom named Enki was sometimes said to be Ishkor's twin brother, and therefore Enlil's son, but also not related to him whatsoever. Inanna is another one who has a shifting place in the family tree. Mesopotamia civilization lasted for an exceptionally long time, so it makes sense that belief systems and histories would change throughout the centuries. The addition of Sumerian gods and goddesses and other beliefs from a diverse range of cultures would infiltrate and blend with the original belief systems. It is important to note that the early scribes were frequently more interested in pleasing the people who paid them or making their writing popular than they were with telling the truth or sticking with cultural conventions. Enlil was a target of much worship from around 2900 to 2083 BCE. Throughout the early dynastic period and during the Akkadian Empire, instead of disappearing cover, completely after that, the church cover the he was reimagined as Marduk from about 1790 to 1750, when Hammurabi ruled in the area. No matter what he was called at different times throughout history, 
he did remain one of the most important deities and had many stories told about him and his activities. Early myth of Enlil and Ninlil. This interesting story sets Enlil near the beginning of time in the city of Nippur. People have not been created yet, so it seems that the city was created by the gods themselves. Nisaba, the goddess of writing, has a lovely daughter named Ninlil. She tells her that she should not go and bathe in the river because Enlil has his eye on her. However, the younger goddess goes anyway, meets Enlil, who seduces her, gets pregnant, and eventually has Nana, the moon god. In response to this momentous occasion, Enlil figures he better ask to marry Ninlil. This turn of events, however, makes the other gods upset. They arrest Enlil and sentence him to exile in the underworld. Although it seems to be associated with his seduction and impurity when it comes to Ninlil, the story also puts forth other reasons why this arrest happened. The tale continues with Enlil passing through the gates into the underworld, talking with different characters and asking them if they would be so kind as to not tell his wife where he went. Perhaps believing they will not follow his directions, the god puts on a disguise as each person he spoke with and tells Ninlil that he has no idea where he is. The desperate wife tries to bribe him with sexual favors to get the information. He agrees, but still does not reveal where he went. These tricky romantic encounters result in the birth of Nergal, the god of war and destruction, Enbilulu, the god of canals, and Ninazu, the god of healing. Although this myth makes these three up to be brothers, there are other stories that give them a different parentage completely. For example, Ninazu is frequently shown as the son of the goddess of healing, Gula. Whether Enlil was the father of all these gods or not, this story appears to exist to praise how virile he is. The entire thing seems to focus on the power of fertility and how, even though Enlil and Ninlil were forced apart by things outside their control, they still found a way to come together and create life. The act of him disguising himself is also another indication of how good he is at tricking the other gods and doing what he wants, regardless of their interests. Enlil and the Anzu Bird Anzu shows up around the second millennium BCE in a legendary tale from Babylon. In this story, Enlil plays the role of High God and the one who controls the Tablets of Destiny. Not only do these symbolize his ultimate rule, but they also contain information about the fate of all the people and deities in existence. As with most stories from these days, there are multiple formats. One of the most common tells how Anzu, symbolically aligned with storms and evil things, tried to steal the Tablets of Destiny from Enlil. He so wanted to be the High God of everything, so watched and waited for the other God to slip up. This happens when Enlil decides to wash his face one morning, takes off the crown he wears on his head, and releases his hold on the Tablets of Destiny. Anzu flies in, grabs them, and heads up to the mountains. The other gods are quite upset by this turn of events, but refuse to take action against Anzu, even when told to do so. This led to a period of confusion and disorder in both the heavenly realm and for human beings. Eventually, the tablets are returned to Anu, the highest god of them all, by one or another hero god. Different versions of the story say this person was Marduk, Ninurta, or Lugal Banda. 
Enlil was given back the tablets and thus shown to be supported by the high gods in his control over existence. This is akin to crowning a king in a way. However, the story also shows that Enlil can make mistakes. Further evidence of this was shown in the next myth that included this popular god. The Atrahasis and Great Flood. Written in the 1600s BCE, a legend called the Atrahasis tells one of the earliest stories from the religion of Mesopotamia. The oldest gods in the pantheon relax while the younger gods they created toil away at doing all the important tasks necessary for life and existence. Eventually, the younger gods and goddesses get very tired of the situation, and Enki suggests that they create some other type of beings who can help. This is essentially the human creation myth. Originally, no one could find materials to make people out of until a god named Wilu sacrificed himself for the project. His body and blood are transformed into the type of living clay that Ninhusa goddess shapes into seven women and seven men who are set loose on the earth. These were not the final incarnation of human beings, however. They did do a lot of work for the gods and goddesses, but they also... It doesn't matter who you are. Having rational, biological understanding of the human yeah, condition... Yeah, 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 no. ...procreated much too quickly and filled the world with so many noisy and active people that they started causing problems for their creators. Enlil gets mad at their constant loud squabbling that he decides to thin out their numbers by sending plagues, droughts, and other serious problems to them. While some of them perish, they also pray to Enki for help resisting these horrible problems. He helps many of them survive and restore balance once again. Enlil is confused about why these human beings keep surviving so well, and why their numbers keep going up all the time. Finally, he decides that he will flood all of the land and wipe them all out once and for all. Even though he convinces the other gods and goddesses that this is a viable plan, Enki still has some trouble agreeing. He goes to a good man named Atrahasis and instructs him to build a massive ark for his family and many of the animals on Earth. Once a flood occurs and everything is wiped out, Enlil begins to regret that he started this destruction in the first place. While they are mourning, all the people and animals that they created in the first place Enki instructs Atrahasis to come out of the ark with the animals, make a sacrifice to the gods and worship them. At first, the knowledge that a person did survive the flood angers Enlil, but they eventually accept the sacrifice and work out a way to create different types of people that would not be so noisy and annoying. The second draft of humanity seems to work out quite well for the gods and goddesses. These creatures do the jobs necessary to maintain the earth, but do not procreate as quickly because they now have mortal lives, may experience infertility, and live with constant threats to their daily lives. In this and other legends throughout the years, Enki is frequently considered the creator of humankind. However, Enlil is also credited with this because he had to essentially sign off on the project to make it happen. Without his consent, there would be no people. Enlil's combination with Marduk. All the way until Hammurabi took over and the balance of power shifted to the Babylonian kings and deities, Enlil was worshipped quite extensively throughout the known civilization. However, when this changed, Enki's son Marduk took his place as the high god in the pantheon. 
Marduk was quite impressive as a hero, who accomplished many great feats and triumphed over many evil and chaotic forces. He was respected for helping to create people, the earth itself, and inspiring both farming techniques and law. His popularity made it very easy for the people to accept Enlil's qualities attached to him. This new understanding spread throughout the Babylonian Empire, and eventually the Assyrian Practices. While Enki was associated with a city called Eridu, Nippur matched him in importance and splendor. Of course, because he was a high god, people from outside the city also worshipped him. Many other cities throughout Sumer, Akkad, and Babylon had temples constructed in his honor. These early temples operated very differently from ones later in history, and quite a bit different from those in existence today. The priests or temple keepers did not perform services that people could attend on a regular basis. Instead, they would accept offerings and make sacrifices themselves or on behalf of the citizens of the city and surrounding area. Only one high priest could actually go inside the inner sanctum that contained a statue of the god the temple was dedicated to. As the prominence of Enlil waned and Marduk took over, the followers of the high god dwindled in number. People still worshipped him in their homes and in smaller shrines, and the temple still stood in Nippur. However, since Marduk, along with the gods Nabu and Asur, were now the prominent ones that led the pantheon, the temple was used for other purposes. This occurred mostly between 900 and 600 BC. Yeah, thank you for tuning in to the Politics AF podcast. I'm now triple podcasting. Uh-huh. I'm going to try to get six six different podcasts going on at, at all times, six different mm, devices. So I can, uh, maybe even I should go up to nine. Doesn't it say in the Bible, like, if you have, like, actually it's like two or three people, then uh, you will, people come together in my name. And uh, we'll be able to uh, do, you know, great works. So um, I think, well, eight or nine. You know, maybe I'll, I'll work up to maybe ten. Maybe I'll get some help because uh, you know, it's kind of hard on my, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a, it can be a strain. I've had to kind of tone it back. Anyway, thanks for a billion listens. And we were just, um, yeah, there's just so much good news. Breaking Trump news. If you want to uh, eat healthy and feel your best, you've got to try Kachava. Um, Kachava is the world's no, you've got to, try to improper storage of classified okay. documents. But just this week, New York Attorney General. Okay, this Attorney- is breaking news, 8 p.m today. In general, Letitia James, I hate Trump where it hurts him the most, (laughs) his real estate empire. Uh, James filed a sweeping lawsuit accusing Trump, the Trump organization, and three of his adult children of engaging in widespread fraud involving years worth of false financial statements related to the family's business dealings. Watch. Claiming you have money that you do not have does not amount to the art of the deal. The art of the steel. That's the best. There cannot be ever. different rules for different people in this. <laughs>
you're in this state. Former presidents are no different. Now, Attorney General James is asking Trump to put his money where his mouth is to the Part tune of, of two hundred fifty million dollars, to be exact. She's also seeking to permanently bar Trump, Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, and Ivanka Trump from ever running a business in this state again. And she wants to prohibit the Trump Organization from entering into commercial real estate deals for five years. That would be a move that would effectively shutter Trump's business empire in his home state right here hey, in New hey. York. Hey. Now, in response to these scathing hey. accusations, in classic nice. Trump tantrum fashion, the 76-year-old labeled the attorney general as racist and a fraud and claim the suit is part of a long winding you guessed it witch hunt against him but why would trump be so defensive about his he's uh, a fucking lawsuit? witch after all by now he's faced hundreds if of this is a witch hunt the then he years. is a witch why this one well Turn him down fucking kill that witch Claims laid out by Letitia James are pretty complicated. At least put him in jail. James, the ex president, claimed his gold plated apartment in Trump Tower this, was this more is than 30,000 feet. He might have a heart attack. We're lucky. In reality, the triplex clocked in at less that would just than 11,000 square just, like, feet. Fucking Trump keeled over. <laughs> Kick the bucket. You're going to fucking jail, asshole. Might as well kick the bucket. Something that can be so easily fact checked. Maybe I shouldn't ask that of a man who, in his first Just, uh, don't be so mean. What are you talking about? Dude, he's fucking responsible for a million deaths. Exaggeration and lying are pretty much the Trump way. In 1987's Art of the Deal, Trump wrote, or should I say, his ghostwriter wrote that a little hyper hyperbole never hurts. He goes on to describe what he calls truthful hyperbole, which he claims is an innocent form of exaggeration. Sure, lying about crowd size can be innocent enough, right? But lying about his business, the way Trump lied, that's a little different. Lying to con and swindle people and earn more money than he should, that's not so innocent. In fact, it could be illegal. Let's discuss this now with Kurt Eichenwald. He is a best-selling author who specializes in financial fraud and an investigative reporter who has extensively covered Trump for both the New York Times and Newsweek. Also joining us, Joyce Vance, a former U.S. attorney, MSNBC legal analyst, a professor at the University of Alabama Law School, and a friend of this program. It's great to have both of you with us, Joyce. I'll start with you and get your reaction to this um, civil suit. This is not a new legal battle for Donald Trump. A new legal front, perhaps, but not necessarily a new battle. I mean, during a six-hour deposition in New York last month, Trump pleaded the fifth at least 440 times, and last week his lawyers even attempted to settle this suit. Um, what kind of impact will those events have on this case as it moves forward, you think? Well, you're absolutely right. It's not a new battle. This is something that has been happening openly and above board for a period of time. And frankly, the former president has had every opportunity to come in and convince Tish James 
not to file a lawsuit against him or to let him settle it before it was filed or at yeah. the same time Thank that you, it was Tish, filed. For not and none of that has it. been persuasive for her, which suggests that she's very confident that in her evidence. The document do. that she's filed in court is extremely detailed. It lays out more than 200 instances <laughs> of inflation of assets. And of course, yeah. that's something that could be part of a bank fraud scheme. It's certainly the sort of behavior that might get you more Any favorable type of fraud treatment than you're entitled to from banks as you sought loans and in other areas. And the flip side of that is the tax valuation issue where Trump lowered his property values to receive favorable <laughs> tax treatment and, and in that sort of a situation one has to be wrong what's important here with his course of conduct over time is that he's boxed himself into a corner because in a civil lawsuit this isn't a criminal prosecution where the government has to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt this is a civil case Tish James has to prove her case by a preponderance of the evidence. That means that it's more likely than not that the allegations in the, the pleading that she has filed are true. And so, for instance, the former president's uh, efforts to assert his Fifth Amendment right to avoid incriminating himself in testimony, in a civil case, that can be used. And, and the judge or the jury can draw an inference that if he asserted the Fifth Amendment, it's because those answers would have been harmful to him and that he did engage in this misconduct. So she has positioned herself in a very good setting for the people of New York. Kurt, you tweeted that this suit against the Trump organization could be, quote, the most important legal challenge Trump faces uh, because of the great financial implications or impact it would have. Walk us through that. Well, um, I've been saying for years that uh, the New York Attorney General's case is the big one uh, because ultimately uh, once Trump's frauds and he's been known to have engaged in frauds dating back to the 1980s uh including laundering money through one of his casinos to get around a bank uh covenant things like that once these frauds finally all came together then his uh entire real estate empire would be in danger now even i i had a, a lot of uh belief that this was going to be ugly uh, even I am shocked at the, the the brazen nature of what he did, the stupid nature of what he did. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of things people aren't getting. You know, just on a baseline, Trump stole $150 million from the banks. If, if what Letitia James has said is true in her complaint, just on interest savings, he stole $150 million. Uh, he lied to them about in, in little basic ways. When you mentioned the apartment, uh, the apartment was actually part of a bigger uh, scam where Country one. Is it too early to start celebrating I do a little rock and roll show by the way for the city. an asset called Seven Springs that was being loaned against. Seven Springs lost 80% of its value. So they dumped seven strip springs into a bag called other assets. They inflated the value of the apartment, dumped it into the same bag, 
And then everybody looked at those two ba- those, that bag and said, oh, that's just seven springs. So he, he upped the, the size of his apartment, not just out of arrogance, he upped it for the purpose of hiding the loss. And you know, the biggest accounting fraud we ever had was Enron. And everybody went to jail. And what I have read in this complaint is stupid Enron. You know, it's very many of the same kinds of manipulations, very many of the same kinds of accounting fraud, just uh, stupider. Uh, It didn't take any sophistication to do this. Yeah, smart is not one of the words that is often used to describe Donald Trump's uh, business dealings. Um, And yet, despite that, Joyce, his former attorney general, Bill Barr, reacted to this suit by saying this. Watch ultimately persuades me that this is a a political hit job is uh, she grossly overreaches when she tries to drag the children into this. Yes, they had roles in the business, but this was his personal financial statement. The children aren't going to know the details of that and be able to in the real world to do their own due diligence and have it, you know, reviewed independently. So that word children is interesting there. Don Jr. is 44 years old. Ivanka is 40 years old. Eric Trump is 38. Hardly considered children in the eyes of the law. Joyce, what do you make of their potential responsibilities for business dealings like uh, any other adult? And even though Bill Barr acknowledges that they played a role in the Trump organization at one point or the other. They're adults. They've been involved in running a business and doing multi-million dollar deals. Ivanka Trump was a senior advisor to a president of the United States. And so this ongoing use of the word children to describe them is really outrageous. It suggests an entirely uh, next level sort of layer of deception going Mm. on here. These are people who are responsible for their own misconduct, whether it's civil or ultimately whether someone decides that it's criminal. They should be held accountable. They don't get a pass just because they have a father. Most people do. Um, But this is one of the many ways that Trump uses language and gets those around him. Even his former attorney general, who he's estranged from, gets them to use language that's very exculpatory, that tries to excuse people from engaging in conduct that's inexcusable. Uh Uh, I'm glad that Tish James is the attorney general who's prosecuting this case. I don't think she's inclined to give people who engaged in this conduct a pass. And although this lawsuit isn't a full invocation of New York's corporate death penalty, it's awfully close because by restricting Trump and his three grown adult children from engaging in running a business in the future, it cuts them out really of a New York-based business. And by restricting their activity for the next five years, including obtaining loans from banks that are licensed in New York, it all but cuts them out of the business cycle. So there well, are consequences if this lawsuit is successful. Yeah, and certainly on his home turf would mean... Uh, no, uh, banks will lend him money. Record. Did you want to say something real quick? Said yeah, LA I mean, Times David K. Johnson. the complaint or he's lying. Mm. Um, because you have... Um, uh, this is not just simply, oh, and they're his, they're his adult children. They are described as taking very, very specific acts, very uh, uh, detailed things where they are on emails, they are signing documents. Uh, the one with the biggest exposure appears to be Eric, 
because he was involved in a in a transaction uh, involving what's called a conservation easement, where they misrepresented the nature of values after that was done. Uh, they were all he was also involved in something involving Nevada state taxes. Um, there was a misrepresentation just last year of uh, Trump's cash flow to the tune of $91 million. And Donald J. Trump Jr. signed that. And so, you know, this idea that, oh, poor little children, if they're children, then they shouldn't be signing financial documents. Or serving in the White House. Um, Joyce Van Sticker on for us. Uh, Kurt Eichenwald, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure uh, to see you. Now, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis now faces a string of major legal battles over his horrific use of migrants as political pawns. This week, Democratic State Senator Jason Pizzo of Miami filed a lawsuit against a judge to block DeSantis from spending any more state funds on migrant transport. Now, this comes after a group of migrants who were sent to Martha's Vineyard filed a class action lawsuit claiming they were victims of fraud for political purposes. Oh, and the Bexar County, Texas Sheriff's Office announced it is opening a criminal investigation into that transport of migrants from San Antonio to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, this week, NBC News reported that another transport flight was scheduled to bring migrants from Texas to President Biden's home state of Delaware. That flight never happened. Someone familiar with the governor's thinking said DeSantis, quote, purposefully left people in the dark. So technically, the media, the Democrats, Everyone got punked. Here's the thing. A flight was scheduled at the laboratory that tries to excuse people from engaging in conduct that's inexcusable. Uh, I'm glad you, that Tish James I is the you. attorney general who's prosecuting this <laughs> case. You, I don't think she's inclined to give people who... We love you. Engaged in this conduct to pass. And although this lawsuit isn't a full invocation of New York's corporate death penalty, it's awfully close because by restricting Trump and his three grown adult children yeah. from engaging in running a business in the future. It cuts them out really of a New York-based business. And by restricting their activity for the next five years, including obtaining loans from banks that are licensed in New York, it all but cuts them out of the business cycle. So there are consequences if this if this lawsuit is successful. Yeah, and certainly on his own on his home turf would mean uh, uh, a personal blow. Craig, did you want to say something real quick? Yeah, I mean, either Bill Barr hasn't read the complaint or he's lying. Um, because you have, um, uh, this is not just simply, oh, and they're his, they're his adult children. They are described as taking very, very specific acts, very uh, uh, detailed things where they are on emails, they are signing documents. Uh, the one with the biggest exposure appears to be Eric because he was involved in... In a, in a transaction uh, involving what's called a conservation easement, where they misrepresented the nature of values after that was done. 
they were all he was also involved in something involving Nevada state taxes. Um, there was a misrepresentation just last year of uh, Trump's cash flow to the tune of $91 million. And Donald J. Trump Jr. signed that. And so, you know, this idea that, oh, poor little children, if they're children, then they shouldn't be signing financial documents. Or serving in the White House. Um, Joyce Van Sticker, Kurt Eichenwald, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure uh, to see you. Uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis now faces a string of major legal battles over his horrific use of migrants as political pawns. This week, Democratic State Senator Jason Pizzo of Miami filed a lawsuit against a judge to block DeSantis from spending any more state funds on migrant transports. Now, this comes after a group of migrants who were sent to Martha's Vineyard filed a class action lawsuit claiming they were victims of fraud for political purposes. And the Bexar County, Texas Sheriff's Office announced it is opening a criminal investigation into that transport of migrants from San Antonio to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, this week, NBC News reported that another transport flight was scheduled to bring migrants from Texas to President Biden's home state of Delaware. That flight never happened. Someone familiar with the governor's thinking said DeSantis, quote, purposefully left people in the dark. So technically, the media, the Democrats, everyone got punked. But here's the thing. A flight was scheduled at some point because, according to the Miami Herald, a group of migrants were left stranded at a remote hotel outside San Antonio when that flight was canceled. So everyone got punked. But the migrants, once again, they had to suffer the consequences of Human the cruelty of Ron DeSantis. Kidnapping but then again, cruelty is what his I would point. Joining me now is Andrew Warren, the, duty, the duly elected state humanity. attorney for Hillsborough Human County, Florida. He was suspended by Ron DeSantis for defying uh, the state's abortion ban. Uh, Andrew, it's great to have you with us. Thank you so much for making time for us uh, this evening. Your reaction to, I guess, the overall way Ron DeSantis has been treating these migrants from the start up until now. The different excuses and the rationales him and his cronies have been trying to come up with to try and justify uh, this cruelty. Look, there are a lot of allegations out there, and there have been a lot of incidents that are, you know, at best political stunts and at worst crimes may have been committed. You know, it's important that we have a search for the truth here to make sure that all the facts come out. And the best way to find the truth is in a court of law, not in a campaign rally, not where the governor can just, you know, go on Fox News and say whatever he wants, but in a court of law. Haha, uh, yeah. Nail him. Nail him. We're on death sentence, David. Because it's literally a death sentence to live in the so state. So that we have court cases that have been filed. You know, we have our case going to court against the governor now, where he's going to have to stand trial for violating the rights of Floridians uh, with regard to my suspension. Do you think, um, based on your understanding of the
ask it this way. Which out of the legal cases, based on your understanding of the law, has the, the greatest chance of holding Ron DeSantis accountable? Well, there are a few cases potentially out there, and it's hard to really speculate because some have just been filed. We don't know the facts yet. You know, our case, uh, this past Monday, the judge set for trial, and this was a victory for the truth because now we, the governor has to come into court and explain, you know, in a court of law, why what he did, why the suspension didn't break the law, didn't violate people's constitutional rights, didn't violate the will of the voters to have the state attorney of their choice. So we're glad that our case is far along and that we're going to be at a trial soon. And we hope that in these other political stunts, these other incidents, that the truth comes out there as well, because the people have a right to know. Can I just, before I get to your trial, which I do want to talk about, I, I just want to button this up really quickly about the migrants. This flight uh, that was canceled this week, do you think DeSantis really wanted to punk the media? Do you think he was just doing this yeah. as a stunner? Do you think that there was something yeah. more sinister there? But given how much heat has been applied to him legally and, and politically and publicly, he backed away from it. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it's really hard to speculate. And as a prosecutor, I don't want to just throw out allegations without having evidence to back it up. Right. The, the conduct is certainly concerning, right? And that's why people are asking questions as they should be. I tell you what, the bigger issue here is, you know, when did it become okay in this country that the people stopped expecting, stopped demanding that...
elected officials start acting like leaders and acting like diplomats and acting like role models for our kids. I mean, we have people acting like demagogues and carnival barkers out there now, not trying to solve problems, not even proposing solutions, just trying to conduct these stunts to draw attention to themselves that don't do anything to move our country forward. Let's um, shift to your lawsuit for a moment. You brought it up, uh, and we did want to talk to you about it. Um, as you mentioned, uh, Governor DeSantis suspended you in part because you refused to enforce the state's uh, abortion ban. As you mentioned this week, a Florida judge moved uh, to schedule a trial. First of all, tell me what happens next in your lawsuit. What is the legal basis of the argument that you um, are putting forward that the judge has agreed with and, and ordered a trial for? Sure. I mean, this is a pretty clear-cut case. The governor isn't allowed to suspend an elected official because he doesn't like, you know, what they say or who they are or how they're doing their job. And let's be clear. I mean, I've done my job. I've done it well. And most importantly, I've done it the way that the voters of Hillsborough County, where I live and work, want me to do it. You know, this is because I spoke out. Uh, I stood Lord up for the face trial for suspension of Floridians. These are two issues that the government just disagrees with. Me abortion on. Ban and his response was to suspend me. So that's why we're going to court on this. In terms of the next steps, you know, the court indicated, well, the governor tried to have the case thrown out, and the court said, not so fast, my friend. You know, instead, we're going to go to trial on this because the people deserve the truth. A trial date hasn't been set yet. Uh, we expect it to be said probably sometime next week after the parties have a chance to get back to the court to talk about the deadlines and those things. You know, people can stay tuned uh, at andrewwarrenfl.com as to what's happening on this. But at the end of the day, we know this. We're going to court and we're going to have the governor come in and have to explain himself to the people of Florida. Yeah, it's a, it's a troubling sign when elected officials are removed uh, by, uh, by other officials in this can Americans with no degree really get $6,495 from this education program? Now, look, the short answer... This state, just because, as you were saying, they may disagree with them over policy. Uh, Andrew Warren, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for making time for this evening. Thanks Coming so much. Up, Team great. Trump's special master pick isn't working out that well for the former president. We'll explain that next. <laughs> Major developments in the Justice Department's investigation into Trump's mishandling of classified documents. In fact, just yesterday, we learned that intelligence officials have resumed their national security risk review of those top secret documents seized from Trump's home last month. That came after an appeals court sided with All the Justice States. Department in its legal day. fight against Trump, ruling that the FBI could still use the documents in its ongoing criminal investigation. The panel, consisting of uh, two Trump appointees and one Obama appointee, wrote, for our part, we cannot discern why Trump would have, an, in, would have an individual interest or need for any of the 100 documents with classification markings. Then there's the matter of Trump's special master pick, you know, the one he fought so hard for. Judge Raymond Deary, in his first conference with both parties this week, sharply questioned and repeatedly challenged Trump's lawyers for refusing to back up Trump's claim that he declassified those documents. Then Judge Deary gave Team Trump another setback of sorts, ordering them by the end of next week to back up another Trump claim, a bizarre one, that the FBI planted evidence during their search of Mar-a-Lago. Joyce Vance is back with me and also joining the conversation, Jamil Jaffer, founder and executive director of the National Security Institute and former White House associate counsel to George W. Bush. 
That was dead, you did. Which development from this Marcus week stood out the most for you on the legal front? Well, you know, I'm on, to me, the most prominent uh, decision was the decision by the 11th Circuit, a three-judge panel, including two Trump appointees, uh, making clear that uh, the president wants to get the benefit of special master review for those 100 classified documents and that the Justice Department can go back to using those materials in its criminal investigation. Joyce, if I would have uh, had to advise Trump on what's the worst scenario he could have done, it was appearing on Fox's Hannity earlier this week and giving... Uh, this version of what he thinks was damage control. Watch this. Is there a process? What was your process to be? It doesn't have to be a process, as I understand it. Uh -huh. You know, there's different people say different things, but as I understand, it doesn't have to be. If you're the president of the United States, you can declassify just by saying um, it's declassified, even by thinking about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> different people say different things. Uh, Joyce did. I'm going to go out on a limb and say Trump did not win you over with that legal logic. Well, he didn't. I'm going to say the nicest thing I can say about that interview that he gave, which is that it's irrelevant. It is not necessary for the Justice Department to prove that these documents are classified from the point that it obtained its search warrant on. It's been quite clear that it's traveling under a different theory involving national defense information, which some of this clearly is, government records, which all of this is, or virtually all of it, and perhaps most dangerously for Trump, obstruction of justice. We presume that what DOJ means by that is the fact that there was a certification that everything was returned to the government when Trump still retained material that was marked classified uh, at his hotel. There is a lot going on here, a lot of potential criminal exposure, and very little, if any, of it turns on these materials being classified. Yeah, you got to think uh, Trump's lawyers that evening with Hannity were not too happy about him doing that interview. Um, Jamil, what's the significance of the DOJ continuing to have access to these classified documents while the investigation is ongoing? Does that, does the fact that the investigation is ongoing while the Department of Justice can continue to sift through these documents matter at this point now? Yeah, look, I, mean, I think it does matter a lot. I mean, I think the fact that the Justice Department can, can continue to build its case, Joyce is right, a lot of this is about, um, you know, the possession of documents to retain them and the like. But at the end of the day, the, you know, this issue of classification and the question of whether they qualify as national defense operation matters a lot. And, you know, so the fact that Justice Department can look at these 100 documents, use them in their potential effort to prosecute, and the, the uh, you know, the ongoing question of how much damage was done continues. That's really important. On this issue of declassification, I will say, I do think uh, it muddies the water if the president says he declassified them. But his current claim for declassifying them, this idea that he could have just thought it, is ridiculous or right. laughable on his face. It's true, certainly, that he could declassify them in a lot of ways. But thinking of it, not one of those ways. <laughs> Joyce, Trump hasn't complied with the special master's request to uh, back up his claim that the FBI planted evidence uh, at Mar-a-Lago. What do you expect him to do? <laughs> you know, this is a put-up-or-shut-up kind of moment. The judge has been very clear that if Trump wants to proceed with this theory, he's going to substantiate it. And something that we've seen so far is that this new group of Trump lawyers appreciates the fact that some of his prior lawyers have gotten into a lot of trouble. Some of them no longer have licenses to practice law. Uh -huh. And they appreciate that they have a duty of candor to the court. They can't say something that's untrue in the pleadings. 
So they now have a moment where if they want to maintain that the FBI planted evidence at Mar-a-Lago during the search, which is the most insane thing I've ever heard, if they want to maintain that, they've got to be absolutely certain that they can prove it up. Otherwise, we won't see them saying that in future pleadings in front of Judge Deary or anyone else. I suspect we will not hear uh, another peep about that because it's painfully false. And Jamil, to, um, to Joyce's point about Trump's lawyers, you know, he, Trump reportedly was told late last year that he could face legal liability if he did not return uh, the government materials that he took with him when he left office. In fact, his former White House lawyer uh, reportedly, allegedly warned of legal exposure that Trump would face, and yet he still did, did it anyway. He's clearly you know, insane. I mean, the president doesn't take the advice of his senior intelligence officials, his lawyers. Um, you know, he, he runs his own book here. Um, Eric Hirschman was very clear with him. You can't take these records with you. You definitely can't take classified materials. I'm sure other lawyers, the White House Counsel's Office, I know a lot of them, um, would have told him the same advice. But, you know, he didn't take their advice on January 6th. He wasn't going to take it today or, you know, when he left the office. And here he is uh, in a real pickle. I think Joyce is exactly right. Um, his lawyers are going to have to put up or shut up with the judge. And I don't think they've got a lot here. I think Joyce is completely correct on that front. All right, Jamil Jaffer and Joyce and Vance, thanks to the both of you for joining us this evening. Greatly appreciate it, as always. Uh, up next, the horrific corruption unfolding in the state of Chris Mississippi. Suicide, and then later, Paul. we're going to have the very latest on Trump. closer to Florida's coast. Stay with us. 40 days without clean drinking water. The city was under one of many boil water advisories. Pumps at its main water treatment facility were already damaged when flooding last month caused the system to almost completely fail, leaving residents without water to drink or cook with or even flush their toilets. People had to line up for hours just to get cases of clean water. And while the boil water notice has since been lifted, many locals remain hesitant. Just this week, some Jackson residents filed a class action lawsuit against the city. Its current and former mayor, city officials, and engineering companies alleging that years of neglect culminated in this crisis that has affected more than 150,000 people. Because Jackson's water problems are years old, the system failed an EPA inspection in early 2020 when the agency found the water had the potential to host harmful bacteria and parasites. From the beginning, Republican state leaders told the world that the black leadership in Jackson and Democrats in general... It's more than protein. It's fuel for more. Dometize ISO 100. The ultra-fast absorbent, hardest-working protein in our lineup. Because settling is unsettling. Talk it. The world is in chaos. We absolutely, desperately need understanding of our deeply troubled people. We're the ones at fault. They accuse them of being ignorant or having loose fiscal morals and a general inability to run good government. But as they criticize Democrats' stewardship of Jackson and make fact-free allegations of corruption, Republicans who run the state have shown that they are not proper keepers of the state's money. In part, that's because Republican Governor Tate Reeves rejected aid from the federal pandemic rental assistance program that was keeping people who were facing evictions in their homes. It's also because lawyers have acknowledged that Farb was previously questioned by the FBI for receiving $1.1 million of federal welfare funds from the state in 2017 and 2018 to give motivational speeches he never actually gave. Huh. He paid that money back, 
but the state says he still owes $228,000 in interest. The Mississippi State Auditor alleged in March 2020 that about $70 million in Mississippi federal funds were directed to two state programs. And from there, millions went to questionable causes, including public records show $5 million to the construction of a volleyball stadium at the university where Favre's daughter played. Neither Favre nor Bryant have been charged with a crime. Both deny any wrongdoing. But just this week, a figure in the scandal, John Davis, who directed Mississippi's welfare agency while it doled out those millions of dollars, pleaded guilty to federal fraud charges under an arrangement that signals he may be cooperating with the ongoing investigation. And earlier this year, Nancy New, a former nonprofit executive who distributed the money in consultation with Davis and the governor, pleaded guilty to multiple charges. She's cooperating with the investigation. These government officials who were in office when that $70 million flowed through the state and into the hands of undeserving people have no standing to talk about government mismanagement. These are the people complaining about Jackson not taking care of its own people on its own. Right now, there should be silence from state officials attacking Jackson about how government should and shouldn't work because there's a volleyball court at the University of Southern Mississippi that shows what these people really care about. We'll be right back. Text messages filed in court last week illustrate not only how intimately state officials, including former Republican Governor Phil Bryan, worked with Brett Favre on this welfare scam that we were talking about earlier, but also it seems that they all knew what was going on. Quote, if you were to pay me, is there any way the media could find out where it came from? Favre asked one of Bryan's deputies. For decades, Republicans, beginning with Ronald Reagan, have raged against so-called welfare queens who abused federal aid programs. If there was any justice, Brett Favre would be known as the grand poobah of welfare queens for his abuse of this system. But there might not be, in part because he is rich, in part because he is white, and in part because he's male. He's privileged, and all that adds up to a level of protection corrupt Mississippi officials would never give to the people from whom they were stealing. Joining me now are Avery Connor, the NAACP's Director of Environmental and Climate Justice, and Callie Acuno, Executive Director of Cooperation Jackson. It's great to have both of you with us. Avery, I'd like to start with um, you, if I can, whether it's uh, in Flint, Michigan, or Jackson, Mississippi. Why are we seeing uh, majority black areas of the country experiencing these water crises? Thank you so much for uh, bringing that up because what we're seeing is uh, a legacy of disinvestment in black communities. And so to your point earlier about the privilege, I mean, in one hand, you have a place like Jackson, Mississippi, who, for example, has asked for American Rescue Plan funding, and they have a separate set of approval that they have to go through that no other city in the state has to go through in order to get funding, for example, for their water infrastructure system. And then you have Brett 
you can send some text messages and get more money than the state capital of Mississippi. Uh, and this is because, again, it's intentional. There's an intentional disinvestment in black communities, and we're seeing that in Mississippi. Um, oftentimes, federal funding, it goes through the states first. So if you have, for example, a state government who is not necessarily thinking about uh, the, the residents of a majority black city, then they are able to ensure that those uh, individuals are not able to get the funding. And we're seeing that in Jackson um, because of decades and decades of disinvestment. Now we're in a place where Jackson, Mississippi is going to, it's going to cost billions of dollars for them to uh, be able to fix their water infrastructure system. But we've seen that in Flint. Um, we've seen that in other majority black cities as well. And until we continue to see more funding stream straight into black communities, this is going to continue to be a problem. Uh, Callie, regarding the Jackson residents' class action lawsuit, uh, how strong is their case? Is there precedence for it from what you've seen on the ground? The case is strong, uh, but I think it's misdirected, to be honest with you. Why is that? Uh, the case is, it needs to be centered at the state government, mm. not at the city government. It's the state government which fundamentally controls the resources that have been neglected to the city of Jackson. For decades, in regards to repairing the system, uh, that is, Albert just spoke to uh, funds that have been uh, earmarked over so many years to the city have been misdirected to other counties and to other projects. Uh, so I think all the residents who are serious about really addressing this crisis need to really point it in the right direction, which is the state government, and then really lobby and appeal to the federal government for the assistance. That needs to come, and that needs to come in the form of direct payment to the city, not things that go indirectly uh, to the city from the state. Feel free to pass on this question, but do you know why they are going uh, after the city and not the state? I mean, you, you make a very logical reason as to why they should go after the state. What, what is your understanding of why they are going after the city? I can, yeah. I can speculate. Uh, I'll give you my opinion. This is just my own personal opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but, it, but it's based in some politics and understanding uh, of how the city functions. Uh, and this is something which is about furthering uh, the deterioration of black leadership in the city of Jackson. Uh, that is in large part what I think some of the plaintiffs behind uh, this particular lawsuit are trying to get at, is to weaken the municipal power and, and remove uh, particularly Chokwe Anton Lumumba and his administration uh, from much of the authority uh, that it, it has wielded in behalf of the people and to really remove his administration and I think future black administrations uh, from being able to move the city in the direction that they want to go. This is a city which is in uh, some profound transition um, uh, and facing some very serious gentrification pressures. Uh, and I think the way that this particular lawsuit is constructed will help those uh, particular interests and aims. So it's something we need to be mindful of. Again, it's something in terms of uh, a, a tactic that can be used to advance our cause and, and make sure that you know our human right to water is uh, protected and fulfilled. Definitely needs to be uh, undertaken as one of the many things that we need to do, but it needs to be directed at the right sources. The, uh, and I want to go back to this Brett Favre scandal here for a moment because you, you have Republicans, they've spent decades raging against, as I said earlier, uh, welfare queens. And yet here we have a pretty clear-cut example of Brett Favre 
appearing to abuse the system, and we're hearing uh, crickets. I mean, we're not hearing anybody condemn this. Uh, Albert, what do you think of it? I think that it is on par for what we've seen as it relates to what privilege looks like. Uh, for example, the fact that Brett Favre is a white privileged male, uh, it, it's pretty clear that uh, they have intentionally tried to hide what he's been doing. And I think it's also really important uh, to note that he's been working directly with state, he was working directly with state agencies uh, in Mississippi. These are the same state agencies that supposedly are supposed to be working on behalf of Black residents in Jackson, Mississippi. And so it's pretty clear that, you know, at a just high level, the individuals who are supposed to be working on behalf of Black folks um, are indeed, it seems to be, more interested in working with folks who already have privilege. Uh, and when you look at, for example, Jackson, Mississippi, um, most of the students there are on free and reduced lunch. So this money that Brett Favre was deciding to take from individuals who actually need it, it's likely from places like Jackson, Mississippi as well. Kali, I'd like to uh, switch gears before we go, and I want to put this up for our viewers. Look at this headline. going on now? Oh, it's finished. So, that was great. Why books are being banned. Beyond the scenes, Daily Show. Ghost Revenge. Watch the readout highlights. Hmm. I've never watched the show before. Check it out. Please don't scroll away. This is Reverend Warnock. And in a moment, yes, I'm going to ask you to make a donation to my campaign. Yeah. Skip. Tonight on the readout, I would like to promise and pledge that I will totally accept the results of this great and historic presidential election if I win. <laughs> Six years after those remarks, Republican candidates across the country are following Trump's lead, threatening democracy by refusing to say whether they will accept election results that they don't like. Also tonight, what's next after a very bad week for Trump, with the special master telling his lawyers to put up or shut up, and New York's attorney general exposing years of alleged fraud. And as Kevin McCarthy makes his pitch for speaker, President Biden reminds Americans exactly what Republicans want to take from you if they win. Things like reproductive rights and social security. Good evening, everyone. I'm Jason Johnson, and for Joy Reid. And we begin tonight with the cancer that continues to rot what's left of the desiccated corpse of the Republican Party. Moments from now, the former president will stand shoulder to shoulder with Ted Budd, North Carolina's Republican Senate nominee. Budd has refused to say whether he would accept this year's election results only if he loses. Bud voted against certifying the 2020 presidential election as a member of Congress just hours after the attack on the Capitol. And he's not the only one. From the Carolinas to California, from Cancun to Grant's tomb, election denialism 
has infected the Republican organization because they barely act like a party. According to the website 538, 60% of Americans will have an election denier on the ballot this fall. Out of the more than 500 Republicans running for office, nearly a quarter of them have fully rejected the legitimacy of the 2020 election. You want a preview of just what life would look like with these kinds of folks in control? Just take a look at Georgia, where election deniers are now using false claims to challenge the legitimacy of more than 60,000 voter registrations. And it just happened, what? I know this is shocking, to be voters that are in counties full of black and brown people. Those These fuckers. About because Georgia Secretary of State, the one who's pretending that he stood up for rights, refused to overturn the 2020 election for Trump. But state Republicans, afraid of making the MAGA king and all his other people look angry at them, decide to pledge their allegiance and change state election laws to fix problems that don't exist. Earlier today, the duly elected president of the United States, Joe Biden, just warned how dangerous this election denialism really is. It's become a litmus test in their party to pledge loyalty to Donald Trump by buying into the big lie. You can't let the integrity of our elections be undermined. Democracy can't survive. It cannot survive. Not a joke can't survive when one side believes there's only two outcomes to an election. Either they win or they were cheated. One of the most prominent election deniers he's referring to is currently running to control Arizona's elections. Mark Fincham is a Republican nominee for Secretary of State. He's currently a state legislator and actually tried to decertify the Arizona election results back in 2020, but he failed. He's also a member of the Oath Keepers, that right-wing paramilitary group, and he attended the Capitol insurrection. What? According to Politico, a fellow Republican in the Arizona House was shocked at Fincham's success, given that, quote, Mark is known as the guy that's probably the dumbest, well, there's a long list, but one of the dumbest legislators in the House. Uh. With friends like these. Look, last night, Fincham faced off with his Democratic opponent, Adrian Fontes, the former Maricopa County recorder who oversaw the 2020 election really the entire country. It was a jarring side-by-side -side of two vastly different perspectives. One grounded in reality and the other grounded in the unhinged fever dreams of the big lie. Knowing what we know today, there are certain counties that should have been set aside as irredeemably compromised. Maricopa County was one of them. When we have conspiracy theories and lies like the ones Mr. Fincham has just shared, based in no real evidence, what we end up doing is putting the faith that we have in each other as citizens. Later, Fincham pretty much made President Biden's point when he said that the reason we can trust results of his primary and not those of the 2020 election was because he won. What? Was the August midterm election fair? Were there any improprieties you saw? I have no idea. What it is what it is. What changed? What changed? Yes. The candidates? While election day might be weeks away, you can already vote in North Carolina, Minnesota, South Carolina, South Dakota, Virginia, and Wyoming. Joining me now to discuss all this is Adrian Fontes himself, the Democratic nominee for Arizona Secretary of State. Thank you so very much. Uh, I, I, I have to mention this, Adrian. I've watched, I watched that debate, and it reminded me of that old SNL sketch where the characters are like, how, how am I losing to this guy? Like, I, I just can't, I can't imagine what it was like being on stage with someone like that. I, I just want to start with this. You're running for Secretary of State. That is a, a incredibly important responsibility. 
what are the responsibilities of the Secretary of State in Arizona? Because it changes state by state. So what would you be responsible for in 2024? First, thanks for having me. The Secretary of State in Arizona is the chief election regulator, uh, chief election officer in Arizona. The 15 counties run the actual election. The Secretary really kind of hurts all of those cats. Uh, we also have business services and public services inside of that office, near and dear to my part of the archives and libraries. Uh, but we uh, really are sort of a ministerial office, the Secretary of State. Uh, does uh, critically certify the election results that come out of the canvases of each of Arizona's counties. Uh, and I think that's uh, the main point of discussion for today. And, and so the certification process, that would be you look at all the different counties, they give you their election results, and it's your job to evaluate if those are legitimate. It's your job to rubber stamp what they do. How is that certification process actually work? giving away this $100 Benjamin Franklin gold bar for free. You just pay the shipping. No hidden charges and no recurring fees. Just pay the shipping and tell us where to send it. This gold bar represents one of history's greatest presidents and we're giving it away for free until we run out. Last time we ran out in two hours. To get yeah, yours, just click below yeah, and tell yeah, us where to yeah, send yeah, yours. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin was rubber okay. stamp what they do. How is that certification process actually work? Well, it's not really a rubber stamp. Uh, a good secretary will work with the counties as they are building their canvases. We'll review them ahead of time before the counties actually uh, perform the canvas, do the vote that certifies, and then sends to the secretary's office. Good teams don't just rubber stamp. They make sure to work together along the way through the entire process so that it is smooth, so that we do have free and fair elections, so that we do have predictable government, uh, rational government, and not just weird chaos which is what my opponent is presenting and we just we just want things to work normally right and that's yeah, uh, really how chaos. the process is supposed to work exactly your job is to scrutinize what is delivered to you and then make sure it's fair for the entire country and and frankly arizona will be one of the states where the entire country's eyes are going to be on you with that being in mind i, I want to play you some sound here of your opponent um the country was all focus on something that he was involved in last year. I want to get your thoughts about it on the other side. Do you think Arizona voters uh, want their chief elections officer um, at a riot at the U.S. <laughs> Capitol to overturn an election? Is that what you think Arizona residents, citizens, voters want? The last time I checked, to be at a place when something's happening is not illegal. Mark Fincham. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Uh, if I was at something that turned into a riot, I would have left. I would have condemned it. If I'm at a party where there was, like, drinking going on that I was in high school, I left. I was that kid. So I guess my, my, my standards are too high for someone running for office. But what are your thoughts about that? It's not only someone who's going to be responsible of holding a sacred oath of counting the ballot in the state of Arizona. What are your thoughts about running against someone who was basically a participant, bare minimum, an observer, in an attempted coup of the United States government? It was hey guys! A crime scene and he in New Mexico, they they uh, a judge signed an order and removed from office a commissioner in New Mexico. So um, they can do the same thing here in Arizona. So I, I'm not sure exactly how to do that, but somebody figure it out. Spread the word. Let's get rid of these motherfuckers. Don't let them run for office. 
Let's be vigilant. Why are Americans so stupid? I'll never figure it out. 